Not Just a Shooter, episode 1.1. We have a sponsor. We have an intro that I remembered to record. Our pets' heads are falling off. Hello and welcome to Not Just a Shooter, episode 1.1. I am your host, Ace Ambender, along with the grand villain himself, Alex Cook. We sound a little tired. We recorded this after all the games Thursday night, so it is not only midnight for the Spurs and the Blazers, it is midnight for us as well. But before we dig into the first round thus far, we are very happy to announce that we now have a sponsor. Gordon Fall, who's a licensed agent of New York Life Insurance. You'll hear much more about Gordy during the show and the episodes to follow, which are going to run through the playoffs and the NBA draft. We are very excited to bring those to you. Alex, welcome aboard to a yeah, now sponsored for podcast. Me. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so glad that he stepped up to the plate and decided to sponsor us. I'm excited to uh, you know, go into the playoffs in detail and then, yeah, the draft, the draft should be fun. I mean, the Pistons, they got a lottery pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. That's it's, yeah. that's definitely what they're doing these days. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways. I, yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's a little late, but I'm ready to do this. Yeah. So with, uh, without further ado, we're going to, uh, we're going to kick it right off with, uh, a recap of the first round thus far, starting with the Eastern conference. We're just going to run right down the board. So the first series up, uh, Toronto is up two games to nothing on Washington. Uh, Washington has hung around a little bit, uh, but was uh, somewhat overwhelmed by uh, Serge Ibaka a bit in the first game. And then DeMar DeRozan in the second. Uh, and Bradley Beal had a bit of a disappearing act in game two that really uh, made it a little bit easier for the one seed to hammer that home. Uh, do you see any chance for Washington to kind of dig their way back into this? I mean, not really. Down 2-0. I mean, unless they win both games at home, which I find pretty unlikely. I think Toronto pretty much has this wrapped up. So game one was close for about three and a half quarters until the uh, Raptors pulled away late. Uh, they brought in Bebe Niguera, a Brazilian center who barely plays off the bench for big minutes in that fourth quarter. He was effective defensively, helped move the ball. Um Lowry and DeMar DeRozan didn't really show up in the first half of game one, but they stepped up in the in the second to kind of pull away there in the fourth quarter. And even though Fred Van Vliet was out, the Raptors bench has been excellent over these two games, particularly um, DeLon Wright and C.J. Miles knocking in some threes, playing good defense. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think for this Wizards core, they just don't really have enough. Yeah, it seems like I mean, especially if uh, if you're not going to have one of your two stars show up in any one of these games, and you know they get a they get a big total number performance out of John Wall in Game One, but it would you know it took them an inefficient game to get there. So I mean, unless Wall and Beal are really both clicking, uh, I mean it's the same problem that 
these wizards had last year too. They just they just haven't seemed to be able to build a a suitable supporting cast around these guys. And yeah, you see the opposite I mean, those... with the Raptors too, where they where they have these pieces. Uh, I know you want the opportunity to talk about OG, uh, where they've got some pieces clicking into place around uh, DeRozan and Lowry, where they they have more than just those two stars. Yeah, and I think the Wizards they've had this core together for a while. They never really have supplemented it well. Um, Otto Porter's locked into a big contract now. They're pretty much capped out, so this is who they're going to have to be unless they blow it up. And, yeah, Beal's been pretty ineffective. John Wall, he sat <clears throat> during the first quarter of Game one after or game 2 Sorry, uh, after picking up two early fouls. The Raptors wound up scoring 44 in the first quarter, and even though Washington kind of pulled back close in the fourth quarter, it was a blowout for most of the game. And, yeah, I mean, the Raptors have a ton of depth. Um, they brought in Serge Ibaka to kind of complement their two guards. And even though they've been, you know, kind of dangling uh, Jonas Valanciunas in trades, he's he's played pretty decently. And then, yeah, like you said, OG Ananobi uh, from Indiana. I kind of figured he would be a good NBA player. I didn't think he would be this good this quickly. Great two-way player. They've had him guarding Wall a little bit. And yeah, the bench as well, even though Van Vliet only played in game two, you know, you really go down the roster and they have 10, 11 guys that can play as opposed to the Wizards. You know, Mike Scott has been good off the bench, but for the most part, they just don't have the depth um, at the top or down the roster. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, Tim Frazier get a, a couple minutes in there for them, but they really only go about eight deep and it's a stretch to get to eight for the Wiz. Um, so that series, uh, if it's not heading towards a sweep, uh, I'm guessing that's over. Over in five. Oh, over in five, most likely. It just seems like, I mean, especially the later you get in the series, that, that bench often starts mattering more, than, more and more. And that is uh, not very good news for Washington. So we move on to the 4-5 uh, the series, who will face Toronto most likely in the second round. And it is currently split between Cleveland and Indiana. Um, the Pacers... Uh, kind of win running away in game one, and then LeBron James has an absolute vintage LeBron James performance in game two, putting up 46 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, and two steals with 17 of 24 shooting from the field. Um, Cleveland did make a, a lineup change heading into game two, inserting Kyle Korver into the starting lineup, and he responded by going four for eight from downtown. Uh, so Cleveland, uh, it looked like, uh, we could be getting a bit of an upset here and then Cleveland was able to steal some serious momentum back in game two. Uh, this looks like it might be the most interesting first round series of, uh, in the Eastern conference. Yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely think it's pretty interesting. And I think the thing to remember with LeBron's awesome game too, I mean, he was dominant, um, in a way that very few players in the league can be. But at the same time, Indiana slowly clawed their way back from down a ton in the first quarter. He outscored the Pacers by himself in the first quarter. Oladipo got the auto bench. But yeah, LeBron was up 16-3 at one point. Yeah, the, the Pacers came back, and with a blown screen coverage, Oladipo had you know a chance to tie with a three under a minute left, wide open, and he misses. Cavs wind up winning by three and if LeBron's going to play that well and the Pacers are still going to be right in it on the road I don't think that bodes very well for Cleveland in this series or down the road putting Corver into the starting lineup so 
so Ty Lu, Cleveland's coach, had been talking like, oh, you know, we have a secret lineup that's our best lineup. And we're <laughs> going to break out game two. Yeah, apparently he couldn't play in game one when they lost by 18. But I think it's Hill, Corver, J.R. Smith, LeBron, and Kevin Love. That's the one. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it's that great of a lineup, really. No, I mean, they're, they're kind of limited defensively. Uh George Hill has not had a great series thus far. Um, J.R. Smith is starting to show his age in a way that's really depressing me, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he and a couple others, I feel like, in the playoffs. We'll talk about Carmelo Anthony later, but it's been really stark with him. And, yeah, I mean, this is the worst team LeBron's had since coming back to Cleveland. I think Oladipo, Victor Oladipo, has had a fantastic series. He has been really good when he's been on the floor. They've had a a solid uh, positive efficiency margin and a pretty bad uh, negative point differential when he's been off the floor. But the Pacers, they play well. They run good offense. They have a lead guard that can kind of take over games. And, yeah, I mean, this is a series that's definitely up in the air, I think. Yeah, I – I'm very curious to see where that one goes because it it does seem like LeBron is going to have to put Cleveland on his back. But if anybody is capable of doing it, it's it's certainly him. And uh, the Pacers are decent, but, yeah. but they they aren't an overwhelming team. So we'll, we'll see. LeBron's LeBron's dragged worse teams to conference finals, but I'm. I'm starting to regret possibly yeah. picking them to to make it to the finals this year. I would say um, they. I mean, you don't want to overreact two games in, and and we certainly saw LeBron bust out a huge performance in game two. But I do find it a little bit worrisome that he kind of had to go full blown finals LeBron in the uh, second game of the playoffs. Yeah, and the other thing too is the Cleveland. Cleveland's defense is terrible. One of the worst defenses in the league. They haven't looked much better, frankly, in these past two games in the playoffs. You know, you kind of think, well, LeBron, you know, kind of takes it easy during the regular season trying to conserve energy. But their team defense is really bad. They were second worst in the league in defensive efficiency. And the thing is, is the Pacers haven't really played that well offensively yet. So in the game that they lost, they shot 6 of 22 from 3. They only scored 1.06 points per possession, and they were still right in it. I think Cleveland's defense is probably due for a collapse here in a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, unless you know they take one on the road in Indianapolis, I think it's a, a strong chance that the Pacers actually advance out of this series, which I don't know what that would mean for LeBron and his future. I mean, I would assume that he's going to leave Cleveland regardless. I'm guessing but, he's gone anyway, yeah. Yeah. But hey, I mean this this could be his last stand for the uh, for the Cavs. Well, it, it it'd be somewhat appropriate that it would be with the foundation crumbling around him <laughs> for reasons that are largely not his fault. Yeah, um, they, I, they could bottom out hard. Their GM drama. Um, I know we can't really get too deep into this because we have eight series to cover. But <laughs> we sure uh, do. Getting rid of getting rid of David Griffin, hiring somebody, somebody with no experience. You know, they ran David Blatt out of town for Ty Lue. I You know, I think LeBron did play a part in kind of the foundation collapsing, but they're going to bottom out hard when he leaves. Yeah, I mean, the, certainly part of it is that they've also had to uh, make certain moves just to try to keep LeBron around desperately. But uh, 
it yeah. has it has seemingly both sacrificed the future and the present, and it it might not even get him out of the first round this year, um, which is uh, I don't think the way anybody well, probably foresaw uh, the King's reign and and Cleveland ending. But at, at this point, I'd certainly wouldn't want to stick around Cleveland. Um, but we are we'll move on to. Uh, if if uh, Cleveland Indiana isn't the most fascinating series of the first round, it's probably Philadelphia Miami. Philadelphia Miami is uh, probably got the most bad blood of any first round series thus far, um, which uh, uh, culminated in uh, Game Three tonight with uh, Joel Embiid coming back uh, to a series that was already deadlocked at one and one and one. Uh, he has a, a bit of a beef already going with Hassan Whiteside. It seems to extend to both teams in tonight's game. There were a bunch of double technicals in this one. Um, but, Definitely got chippy. Yeah, it, yeah get, it gets real chippy. And then Embiid has a strong uh, strong return with a pretty efficient 24 points. Ben Simmons has another great game. And Marco Bellinelli goes off from distance, which was the big problem for Philly in their Game 2 loss. So, I mean, the Heat... Uh, I mean, they get a win early in this series from getting a kind of 2006 Dwayne Wade game out of nowhere. Um, but that was with Philadelphia going 7 for 36 from downtown in game two. Uh, Philly won the first game 130 to 103. Uh, when Bellinelli and Reddick and J.J. Reddick are shooting, uh, this series doesn't seem like it should be close. That didn't happen in game two, but I'm, I'm not sure that's very sustainable for the Heat. Yeah, and like you said, there is a lot of bad blood in this series, which definitely will get the most attention. I also think uh, it's the most interesting chess match so far, at least tactically, between the two coaches in the series. So Philly, uh, game one was close at halftime. They came out of the second half with Ersan Ilyasova at the five, you know, a stretch power forward type. Put up a ton of points, finished with 1.28 points per possession. Yeah, I think Miami tried pretty much everyone on their roster at some point in that game, figuring out how to solve small ball. Yeah, and so they wound up playing Kelly Olenek more than Hassan Whiteside in each of these last couple games, which makes me kind of wonder how Hassan Whiteside's mood is right now. Probably not very good. Well, and he also just has not been playing well. So no, he has not. No, he's had he's had a bad series, which is kind of funny because it's coming against you know Joel Embiid. They have a little bit of Twitter beef and chirp back and forth every so often. And yeah, Embiid played well in Game Three, but in Game Two, the you know the Heat really played well defensively. Philly had bad three point luck, but they had started kind of pressuring Ben Simmons a little more, taking off of him. You know, he can't shoot very well. So in game one, they gave him space. He wound up dissecting them with passes, finding cutters and, you know, players coming off of off-ball screens. But in game two, they kind of pressured the ball, tried to deny the post a little bit, and kind of took Philly out of it. Simmons still finished with a great stat line because he's such a good player, but really bogged down their offense early on. And, yeah, couple of that with the missed threes and the vintage Dwayne Wade performance. (laughs) Um, Season-high 28 points, right? And – yeah, they, they managed to get one on the road, but then you come into game three, bring in Joel Embiid, and they made 18 threes. Like you said, Bellinelli had a huge game. And, yeah, I mean, Philly's looking really tough. I mean, if they're hitting threes like they have been for at least two-thirds of the series, they're going to be tough for anybody to beat. 
I also got to give credit to Ben Simmons for uh, getting in a bit of a tussle with a man named Bloodsport and not dying. So, yeah, uh, we, you know, the, the, the name of the first podcast was, uh, you know, don't mess with, don't fight people named Bloodsport. But uh, and, apparently you can and, try You can yeah, tempt James it Johnson, a little bit. James Johnson is a MMA fighter who has a black belt and he looks absolutely terrifying. So I don't know what Simmons is thinking. You know, maybe some youthful overconfidence, but backed it up on the court. And yeah, Philly manages to get game four in Miami. I mean, it's going to be pretty the, much wraps on the series. The thing about Simmons is he's Australian, so he, he really might not care about James Johnson's yeah. uh, fighting pedigree. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to mess with Australians either, I guess. I don't know. He just looks so young compared to some of these other guys, but yeah, he's a big guy. And I guess, it's it's yeah, shocking the way Australian he's been able to, to carry himself throughout this series. I mean, and not only with the way he's playing, but just uh, the, the way he's carrying himself. He, he does not look like a kid out there and it's, it's going to be, it's frightening that this team's future is uh, probably a lot brighter than its present, and its present very, very well might get into the finals this year. Especially since yeah. uh, now, that if we move on to the uh, to the two seven series here, uh, the shorthanded Boston Celtics have actually managed to build a two zero lead on the Milwaukee Bucks, which uh, I don't know if we really actually expected them to be able to do. Yeah, I mean the Bucks. They just don't seem like an ex- especially well-coached team, to be frank. During game one, they managed to finally put Giannis at the five in the fourth quarter, made a comeback, forced overtime after a series of ridiculous shots. But late in regulation and in overtime, they missed some easy defensive boards, had some bad busts and screen coverage and doubling when they shouldn't have. And, you know, in game in game two... It's a little bit more of the same. It's just Brad Stevens versus Joe Prunty, the interim coach for the Bucks. Is just I, I'm still not match. entirely sure Joe Prunty is a real person instead of someone generated yeah, by NBA 2K. Say. It's hard to say. And, yeah, it's – I think, you know, if you get the Heat or if you get the Wizards, it might be a little different. But And the Bucks should be better than both of those teams on paper, but they just clearly aren't, even though Giannis has had an amazing series. Yes. Um it's it's been surprising that they've haven't been able to do more against a team that just shouldn't shouldn't be able to do as well as they have. But Terry Rozier has really come up big. Uh, Jalen yeah. Brown comes up. I mean, I mean, Rozier hits the should be game winner in game one, and then uh, comes up pretty ice in overtime too to to seal that game. Um, and then in game two, he drops 23 on eight of 14 shooting. I, this, this was not skill with eight assists too. This is not skill we saw from him at Louisville. Um, no, and I was kind of down on him coming out of college, but he has decisively put, outplayed Eric Bledsoe, which is kind of funny because you look at them both. They're both fairly short, but really fast, really strong kind of combo guards. Um, very similar players, but yeah, Rozier's played better and, you know, for a third string point guard, you can't really ask for much better than what he's given them so far this series. Yeah. Shane Larkin, fourth string point guard, comes off the bench in game two and has um, some nice minutes. And they they the Celtics have a lot of scoring power on the wing, even without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. I mean, they managed to to win game two comfortably despite the fact that Jason Tatum 
only goes two for nine of the field with four, four points. Jalen Brown goes off for 30. Um, they've been getting really strong performances on both ends out of Marcus Morris. Former um, Piston, Marcus Morris. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's, there's been a Brown. lot of former Piston. Because Greg Monroe also drops 12 points off the bench yes. in game two. Uh, there's, there's a lot of former Pistons thriving out there. In this series especially, Chris Middleton hit the shot to send it to overtime from like 38 feet. An obscene in shot that one. we should should bring up, even though it was ultimately yeah, a losing effort. That was kind of the uh, the Chauncey Billups shot there. Yeah, and he scored uh, quite a bit over this series. He's, I mean, poured in 30 in the first game. Um, I think he scored 28 in the second. I don't have the box score handy, but... Even even with that kind of performance from their best players, the Bucks just don't have it in them to really win this series. Uh, Jalen Brown, he had a great game in game two. And one thing to remember is he is like just about the same age as Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons. <laughs> I think Jalen Brown came out of high school as a really top recruit, always clearly had the NBA physical tools to make it. Getting drafted by Boston in terms of getting a chance to win immediately and getting to develop as a scorer, as an all-around player to become, I think, one of the better prospects in the league. Could be a great two-way player in time. And yeah, Tatum played well in game one, not so good in game two. Marcus Morris is strong on the wing. Al Horford is still Al Horford. And with Rozier playing well, it's just another really good coaching job by Brad Stevens. Yeah, I, uh, I think Eric Bledsoe should probably know who Terry Rozier is by now. Yeah, I mean... After you get dusted by a guy in in the press conference, act act like you don't know who he is. It's not a good look. It's a really bad look. Well, and Bledsoe, you know, he he develops some bad habits in Phoenix, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, once he gets out of there, he'll be, you know, he'll be good. But defensively, not great. Not really too effective on the offensive end either. That was a trade that seemed like a great fit for both teams when Bledsoe forced his way out of Phoenix, but hasn't really panned out and the Bucks are still kind of searching for a way to get this done really wasting some excellent performances by John as he's averaging 32 and a half points 11 rebounds seven and a half assists and shooting 63 percent from the field but at the same time if that's not enough it's it's going to be tough for the Bucks to to win four out of the next five games yeah um yeah I've I've flipped my opinion on this one I I mean it turns out the Brad Stevens versus Joe Prunty uh, coaching matchup is as bad for the Bucks as that sentence sounds. Yeah, um, and you know people like to say, "Oh, coaching doesn't matter as much in the NBA. It's just the players." You know, blah blah blah. But I think you can really kind of tell which teams are getting the most out of what they have versus teams that are underachieving. And coaching really does make a big difference, especially once you get into the ins and outs of you know individual strategic moves you know who guards who how do you defend ball screens from a certain person what kind of action do you want to run off the ball it's really um interesting to see you know brad stevens kind of assert himself as one of the league's best coaches yet again yeah i mean i i, I can't say it's it's exactly shocking but i mean you look at the two rosters of these teams and it, it does not look like it as they stand right now at least the, the active players on these teams uh, this year, series should not be going Boston's way, but the uh, the hole is not the uh, is not matching the, the some of the parts there for Milwaukee, and that's and that's pretty disappointing really with the way Giannis is playing. 
it'll be really interesting to see what happens this offseason with them because I think they kind of are going to blow it up a little bit. I don't think they'll re-sign Jabari Parker. He played like 10 or 11 minutes and didn't score in game two. Seems pretty disgruntled. Has been injured a lot, but I'm guessing he'll be playing next where, uh, somewhere else this next season. Yeah, but, and you got to wonder if that's uh, a little bit of mismanagement on Milwaukee's part there. I'm probably. It'll be interesting to see who they hire as their coach. Um, yeah, it could go in a ton of different directions there. If they get a good coach, you could buy low on their stock right now and, and really see it pay dividends in the next couple of years as Giannis continues to develop. Only 23, already one of the best players in the NBA. Just uh, a delight to watch, but... Yeah, the Bucks seem to be at a crossroads, and Celtics are just kind of humming along. Yeah, enjoy so, enjoy watching Giannis while you can this year, because uh, it might not last a whole lot longer. No, it might not last a whole lot longer. So do you have any other thoughts kind of on how the East is shaping up, or any takes on any of the series thus far? I mean, I definitely, you know, uh, I'm obviously starting to shift my opinion towards uh, Philadelphia as the team to come out of the East versus versus Cleveland. I mean. I know the Pacers are probably a better team than Miami, but um, the Sixers have uh, kind of risen to the occasion against Miami. They did in the first two games without Embiid, and now we're able to kind of bring him back pretty seamlessly in Game 3. Meanwhile, I mean, we we talked about it. Cleveland looks like they they might have some real trouble just getting out of the first round. So... uh, uh, yeah, and we may also be Pacers, underestimating the Raptors a little bit here, since uh, you know the, the, they might be getting a, a pretty free path here. Uh, uh, especially, I mean, I was I was expecting more out of the Bucks than what they've shown so far. And if the Raptors are able to get a very shorthanded Celtics team, even with Brad Stevens as their coach, um, I mean, I think I think Dwayne Casey's a, a certainly a step above Joe Prunty uh, of what we've yeah. seen th- thus far. Um, I mean, the the East could really go in a in a number of directions right now. It feels very up in the air right now. Yeah, so it's it's funny that you say that Cleveland might not make it out of the first round because Pacers fans are convinced that the refs are going to throw the series for LeBron to keep LeBron in it. I mean, you, you may just spend too much time hanging around Crimson Quarry people. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it's mostly Kyle Robbins. That's just <laughs> they they're like Kyle, you're acting like a Purdue fan right now. He's like, yeah, I don't really care. But I guess that's kind of a problem with the Pacers fan base. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting a small sample size. But, yeah, you know, I think the Pacers could beat the Cavs. I think the Cavs won't. It's hard to say if they'll make it past the Raptors. The Raptors have looked good thus far, but I'm still kind of doubting them. Beating the Wizards is not especially impressive. Boston Boston is a team that, you know, with the East looking like the way it is, I think Boston could make a run. It'll be really interesting to see how things shake out with Philly. It does not that say that good happens. things about the East. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. And you look at it, it's like, well, LeBron's team has pretty much imploded. Even though he's still LeBron and excellent, they're not good. Philly, a couple years away, potentially. Embiid coming back and playing well tonight, kind of rusty, potentially. He played pretty well in the fourth quarter, but if he you know, continues to get a feel for the game again after a period with an injury. I look out for the Sixers, but it seems like they're still a year or two away. We'll see what they get out of Markel Fultz in the future. He's not really playing a ton. Yeah, he's not doing a lot yet. And, yeah, I mean, you got to just trust the process. The process is going to look even better in a couple years than it does now. 
But yeah, they could they could make a run to the finals. And then yeah, Boston, walking wounded, Raptors have had the same core and a lot of regular season success over the years, but haven't had strong playoff performances. So the East is bad. I mean, East is bad, folks. It's not really much more to say than that. Yeah, it's it's kind of rough out there. I don't I don't know whether it's going to be the Raptors or the the Sixers or the Cavs. I'm I'm not sold on the Celtics being able to come out of there, but uh, I'm pretty sure that whoever's going to ultimately be holding the Larry O'Brien Trophy will be coming out of the conference we talk about on the other side of this break. Before we go into break, Ace mentioned James Johnson's nickname Bloodsport earlier in the podcast. Seth made it the first podcast title, and I had not heard that nickname. So I looked it up on Basketball Reference, which is an amazing tool to find all the stats you'll ever need about the NBA. But they also do have pretty funny and random nicknames for each player, most players. Um, Saus Castillo, Nick Stauskas obviously is one of them. But there's a lot of fairly obscure ones. So I wanted to give Ace um, a special edition of the gimmicky top five. Oh, God, this is going to be such a pathetic performance. Five. Five nicknames from the East. These players are all on playoff teams. They're all among the top five leading scorers on each team. And they have nicknames that you might or might not be able to guess. So the first one I'm going to go with, Kobe Wade. Kobe Wade? Kobe Wade. That player we all know and love, Kobe Wade, according to Basketball Reference. I'm going to guess that's an obscure J.R. Smith nickname. A similar player. It's Dion Waiters. And okay. Kind of cheap because he's hurt and easy to forget about. I don't know if he would make a difference. I, I think you're not, cheating but... because he's on the injured reserve, but okay. 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 I like that. I, I at was... least thought of somebody very similar. Jared <laughs> yeah, Smith is a Kobe Wade type player. I think that's a hilarious nickname. I've never heard anybody <laughs> call Dion Waiters. That. He's Waiters Island, but Waiters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But how does he get Kobe Wade on basketball reference? I have no idea. Okay, so number two, Count Blockula. Count Blockula. Player from the East. I'm going to guess this is a nickname that Joel Embiid has given himself. Oh, Joel Embiid's mortal nemesis, Hassan Whiteside, is known as Count Blockula. Oh, that was going to be my other guess, but I didn't think he'd go with two Heat guys in a row. Yeah, mm. I'm just I'm trying to outsmart you, man. Yeah, that um, was uh, you're one step ahead. I'm outthinking myself here. Number three. The Little Emperor, and this is this is a fairly popular and successful player, uh, but he's known as the Little Emperor according to Basketball Reference. The immediate thing that pops to mind for me is Chris Paul. He's in the West, though. Oh, this is still East. Crap. Yeah, um, I mean that would be a great nickname for him. He should be called the Little Emperor. We'll try to make that happen. Yeah, we might have to. Um, man, Little Emperor is tough. It's LeBron James. No, what? Yeah, basketball reference. LeBron James. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad you just jumped in with it because there was no way in hell I was going to no get chance. that one. His other nicknames, according to Basketball Reference, King James, LBJ, Chosen One, Bron Bron, the Little Emperor, and the Akron Hammer. The Akron Hammer is probably a better nickname than the Little Emperor, but that would have given it away. Yeah, yeah, that definitely would have given it away. Also, I'm not. Uh, I can give them the first like four or five of those, and then those those start getting away from basketball reference a little bit. Yeah, number four, Big Panda. This guy's not especially big. You're kind of ragging on ragging on him a little bit earlier in the podcast. 
Oh, who was I ragging on earlier in the podcast? Um, it's not Kyle Lowry, is it? No, Brad Beal. Oh, oof. Yep. And so the last one, this one is probably the best of this of this batch of nicknames is Humble Moses. And you'll never get this one. So it's it's Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm okay. Brogdon. Yeah, I'm glad Humble you just Moses. jumped in. Humble yeah. Moses. Is there like a dig have you found the backstory to that? You know, I probably should have looked before we recorded this, but I have not. So I'm just gonna kind of let that one sit that, outside of context. So maybe every time you'll see Malcolm Brogdon, you'll think Humble Moses. Yeah, per, perhaps we'll that look that up by sense. the end of the podcast. Perhaps we'll have those the outro. Perhaps you'll have to oh, listen to episode one point two to find out. This is how we keep people yeah, it's coming hard back. To say. Um, all right, now that we've got that quiz out of the way, we are actually going to take a break and then come around on the other side with the Western Conference. You're an MGO blog reader, so you've probably already met Gordon Fall. Yes, the guy who comes to all of our events. Yes, he is named after Gordy Howe. Yes, Wayne Gretzky knows this and says hi, Gordy, whenever they cross paths. Seriously. Gordon has stepped up to sponsor this podcast, so we should tell you what he does. Gordon is a licensed agent with New York Life Insurance. He specializes in holistic policies for individuals with long-term goals and short-term financial situations. He would like to expand that roster now in anticipation of opening his own shop next year and would rather work with fellow lifelong Michigan obsessives. If you're starting out in your career, growing your family, or beginning to think about retirement, you should talk to Gordon about crafting a plan for you. Visit GordonFall.com to start the conversation. That's G-O-R-D-O-N Fall.com. Back to talk about the uh, the much more promising and, and although maybe less interesting Western Conference. Uh, three of these series have uh, one of the teams without a single win. Um, two of them are on the verge of a sweep. New Orleans up three games to none on the Trailblazers and Golden State uh, just wrapping up their third straight win over the San Antonio Spurs. Um, but there is a little bit more intrigue than the uh, the only one knotted series may have you expect, um, and that that very much starts with the one eight series between the Houston Rockets and the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, which was extremely tight in the first game. Uh, Jimmy Butler has a chance to tie that one uh, at at the end of regulation, and uh, d- does not come up with a great attempt, unfortunately. Um, so James Harden's 44 points end up leading Houston to a 104-101 win. 
game two is a much more comfortable victory uh, for the Rockets that uh, maybe is a sign of things to come for the rest of the series. But the T-Wolves did at least uh, give them a bit of a fight in game one. Uh, game two, though, a uh, very bizarre approach from the Timberwolves, I would say. Yeah, the Timberwolves just, I don't know. It's interesting because throughout the regular season, they were a team that was great on offense and terrible on defense. And they've played good defense on Houston so far for the most part. Harden went off in game one. He, he scored on Butler in the fourth quarter. He made some awesome plays down the stretch. He was actually terrible in game two. But he was pretty much a one-man show in the first game. The rest of his team shot three of 25 combined from three. So Minnesota really had to have that one. Clint Capella outplayed Carl Towns in both games, but especially the first game. And, yeah, Minnesota got good performances from Derrick Rose and Jamal Crawford off the bench in that first game, but still couldn't pull it home. And then in game two, they put up .85 points per possession, and Houston won comfortably despite a terrible game from the probable future MVP. Uh, Chris Paul played way better in game two. He had 27 points. He hit maybe the most absurd freaking floater I've ever seen in my life in that game. Yeah, he probably bounced off the scoreboard. That was way up there. And yeah, Chris Paul played well. Clint Capella played well. And the Timberwolves offense hasn't found itself. One thing that has been a defining trait of the series, which is kind of an interesting matchup or interesting tactical battle for us to track as Michigan fans because we saw something similar a lot this past uh, basketball season is that Houston switches pretty much everything on defense. They're comfortable having small switch on base. They're comfortable having their big guard on the perimeter. Part of that's their personnel. They have a lot of long, quick wings. They also, Clint Capella can really try to bottle up opposing ball handlers. But Minnesota has a really skilled, talented stretch five in Carl Anthony Towns. And he has been super quiet throughout this series. In game two, he had just five points. After game one, the inside the NBA crew of mostly uh, Shaq and Charles Barkley kept on just hammering, oh, they need to feed Towns in the paint. Oh, they need to find him in the post. And usually when they harp on that, it's just kind of annoying and not correct. But in this case, they really did need to try to get him more involved. They did in game two. He still only had, I think, what, nine shots finished with five points and if the Rockets can switch Harden and Paul onto Carl Towns and Carl Towns can't score on them it's kind of a rough series for him in his first appearance in the playoffs yeah and it's it's kind of go especially poorly too in game two I mean one of the big things that uh the Timberwolves fans have been uh, somewhat rightfully complaining about is the offense is just not running through the right guys and so I'm going to turn no, the tables. I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit after your uh, Eastern Conference nickname pop quiz. I would like you, without looking at the box score, to name the Timberwolves who attempted more than Jimmy Butler's six field goal attempts in Game Two. There more are than... Jimmy Butler had six, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Timberwolves who attempted more shots from the field than Jimmy Butler. Okay. I will be impressed if you get five. Well, Wiggins is a guy that takes too many shots. I'm assuming that's what you're referring to when that is you say one. that Wolves fans are pissed that it's going through the wrong guy, which I agree with. Jimmy yes, he should have the ball in his hands way more than Wiggins does relative to what it has been. Yeah. Um, Towns, Towns is another guy who shot more. I would go with starting point guard Jeff Teague. Mm-hmm. Probably shot more. Let's see. Let's see. 
Did Taj Gibson get more shots? No, Taj Gibson uh, went a very no. efficient oh, three for man. four. Shoot. Uh, well, I'll go with Jamal Crawford. Okay, I was about to say, if you didn't get that one, I was going to be disappointed. I would probably go with Derrick Rose as well, although I'm not as confident in that one. Yes, he, he put up nine shots going four for nine. Uh, There's two more. Bielitsa These was pretty the good toughest the bench, ones. right? Sorry, which one was that? Bielitsa. Yes, he did. He took nine. Okay, yeah, he he was a positive player off the bench. You would think that he would be a good matchup for them in this series against Houston. But there's there's one more, and it's it's the toughest one because the toughest because there's just no way. I know, I know. Okay, I took I took good notes on this game. Oh, so your notes are this guy should not be taking these shots. Oh man, I no it it isn't the guy that I'm thinking of. Hmm. Man, that's a tough one. A uh, guy that I wouldn't see. I don't know that much about the end of the Timberwolves bench. Oh, I I, I wouldn't have pulled this. Is it Gorgi Jang? It is Gorgi Jang. Oh my <laughs> he, god! He went one for eight. That's an uh, impressive pull, man. You got all seven. <laughs> the only player left in the NBA from that Louisville team that broke my heart in Atlanta that one time. But Gorgi, uh, more shots than Jimmy Butler is not ideal. I think Butler has done a good job this season of really honing in on his defense even though they've been a terrible defensive team and trying to you know facilitate for others but, but that dude was a great scorer in chicago and he yeah he needs the ball more yeah and it's I, not like he was acting like a facilitator in this game either he only has two assists so that that's just the ball not being in his hands enough and he plays uh, he plays fewer minutes than tyus jones in this game i just i with one foul so i yeah i don't really get what thibodeau is going for there no, I don't really get it either. And the other thing about this series, too, is Houston has scored right around a point per possession or barely above it. And they're going to light up Minnesota at some point. It's going to get ugly. And in game two, they had roughly the same percent percentage on three-pointers, both fairly low. But the Rockets took three times as many as the Timberwolves. And it's just that volume and three is worth more than two. The Rockets have kind of owned in on that really obvious – mathematical yeah they check up 52 threes in game two yeah. and even though they only bake 16 of them that that's enough to win comfortably uh because of the yeah. way that the timberwolves were running their offense yeah and i don't have the box score open because of that of that quiz but uh <laughs> how many turnovers did the wolves have in that game they turned it over 16 times against 15 yes. assists they they did not run great offense in that one it was no, ugly all around. The, the Rockets are missing Luke Richard and Bob Mute and Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson is a guy I think that could have really opened up the offense and you know put up a ton of points on the on the Wolves. It looks like they won't need him. And Bob Mute is a guy that might not be available for the second round, but looking way ahead to a, a conference finals matchup with Golden State potentially, he's a guy they might need back. But missing two guys roughly the same position quote-unquote you know it's kind of positionless basketball but two wings and they're still cruising along and playing better defense than i expected clint capella has been really impressive this series and yeah minnesota it's hard it's hard because they probably shouldn't have been an eight seed if jimmy butler hadn't got hurt late in the season they probably would have finished higher higher in the standings the clustering between four and eight was really tight and came down to the last couple games but 
they are an eight seed. They'll probably be back to the playoffs next year, but not looking so great for now. Yeah, my uh, my pick for uh, who's making the the finals has not changed, unlike in the East. Also, uh, gotta give a shout out to Gerald Green for uh, dropping twenty one points in Game Two in his hometown. It's kind of cool to see that, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. Bounce he came back. from yeah out of the league, veteran player now, um, and yeah, hometown kid. That's pretty awesome. So yeah, Gerald Green. It's nice to see the guys that uh, that have to kind of scratch and claw their way through, find their way back in. And uh, he went from a dude who relied pretty much entirely on on his athleticism to someone who's putting up some major minutes for a title contender. So that's pretty fun to unrepentant, see. Unrepentant, unrepentant gunner, and he found the right coach for that and the right role for that. He, coming he up certainly did. He found he found a fit in Houston. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he is a big D'Antoni fan. Um, how could you not be i mean yeah if you're a player who likes playing basketball i, I would assume that unless you're a, a slow paint bound center you love mike d'antoni um yep. and the rockets later in the series they're definitely going to have chris paul and james harden play well at the same time that hasn't happened yet they're also going to hit well above their average on threes that hasn't happened yet and i'm thinking that if it doesn't end at four, it'll end at five, and there could be a, a really ugly blowout coming in these next few games. Yeah, this was one where it feel, felt like, you know, if Minnesota wanted to really make this at all a series, they had to steal that game one. And once and they that were didn't so happen, close. They, yeah. they, they were close. And then Jimmy Butler got off a real rough last shot. <laughs> no, yeah. And they have been giving Wiggins the ball too much. They, I feel like Thibodeau has a, has a great reputation. He earned it over the years, especially with his work in Chicago. But the defense has been pretty bad, hasn't been that much better against Houston. Houston's just missed a lot of open threes. And for a coach whose reputation was built on that side of the floor, I feel like that's probably pretty alarming. You also have kind of the coach and GM scenario, which can be pretty toxic. Hasn't worked out for the Pistons, obviously. So... Minnesota, it'll be interesting to see. They do have Towns. He is a really fantastic player, despite how poorly he's played in this series. And the future's bright there, but it's kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of ambivalent about them for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is one where we both expect the Rockets to run away here. So we'll uh, we'll head to the one uh, deadlock series here where uh, it seems to be very much in doubt whether uh, – Oklahoma City can can get past the Utah Jazz here. Uh, OKC wins in Game One with big performances from the, especially Paul George. Um, it, I, I don't know. This this was a game to me. My, my notes say OKC is winning with upsettingly garbage offense. Um, and they game, are kind of known for that. The, the, it's been the, a problem. That years. is their thing. So yeah, I guess uh, that that is repeatable for them. But. Uh, and then game two uh, was the Donovan Mitchell game. It was on NBA TV, which I currently don't get at home. And since it was the Donovan Mitchell game, that's probably for the best. So, Alex, I'm going to let you take this series away. Okay. And I am an Oklahoma City fan. My my mom uh, went to high school there. She loves the Thunder, loves Russell Westbrook. So I have an investment in the Thunder. And, yeah, it's, it's a deadlock series. It's been pretty interesting. I think there are matchups on each side that are favorable and unfavorable for each team. In game one, Paul George, really dominant. He was awesome. He kind of sparked Oklahoma City's hot shooting from deep. Alex Sabrinas knocked in a couple, but Paul had 
eight made threes, I think, in that game. And so game one, Thunder kind of pull away late. It was a good, you know, valiant fight from the Jazz. And then game two, Oklahoma City kind of is out of it early. The Jazz kind of control the game through the first half. The Thunder go on a 19-0 run in the third quarter to go from solidly down to solidly up. But then kind of starting late in the third quarter, Donovan Mitchell got cooking a little bit. He didn't make a three in the game, but finished with 28 points. He was really attacking the rim well, going at Corey Brewer and Paul George, who's eight inches taller than him, for layups, floaters. Mitchell, six foot two, but extremely long wingspan. He was really doing a good job of attacking Oklahoma City's defense. And the Thunder fell apart on offense in the fourth quarter. George Westbrook and Anthony did not make a single field goal between them. And, you know, there were opportunities. There were opportunities to stem Utah's uh, run to get the lead. There were opportunities to kind of narrow the deficit late in the game. But the Thunder just kept on throwing up bricks. And it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the series plays out. I think one really important dynamic is that Stephen Adams has been kind of dinged up a little bit. He seems to have an apparent arm injury that the Thunder have been sort of mum about. And the Jazz, they went more to this lineup in Game 2. This is something that actually Zach Lowe recommended them to do, and it worked out great. So no, what do you Yeah, I mean, what are the odds Zach of that? Lowe's good they played, yeah, they played Mitchell, Favors, and Gobert at the same time, so kind of a Twin Towers look in the front court, maybe a little bit more of a throwback with a traditional power forward. Favors can step out and hit a jumper, but he's, he's more of a, a tall bruiser. And he scored 20 points and had 16 rebounds in game two. Gobert, excellent defensively at the rim. I do think Gobert is neutralized a little bit because of Westbrook. Um, Westbrook isn't afraid to attack him, kind of sets the tone for, yeah, we're not going to be afraid of this guy. And by, you know, taking layups against him, he kind of opens up opportunities on the offensive glass for others. But Mitchell favors Gobert. Great lineup. I think that's a lineup that they can really attack Carmelo Anthony with. So Carmelo plays the four a lot. The the, uh, Jazz like to work in switches to kind of get him on the ball and beat him that way. And he's not giving enough, nearly enough, on the offensive end, despite you know being kind of an ISO and catch and shoot guy. And he's really showing his age a little bit. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, uh, from what I've seen of this series and also looking at the stats, it seems like the best route for the Thunder and in an ideal world would, would be to get Carmelo off the court. But they don't really have that many other options. No, they really don't. And with Adams injured, that's kind of tough because they played Jeremy Grant off the bench. He kind of gets a lot of minutes for them, and he's – a stretch kind of understands undersized athletic four or five. And if they were to get Carmelo off the floor, they would have to play Grant and Adams together, but there isn't much depth. Is not really any depth at all to speak of behind them? And with Adams, sir, it's not really feasible. And then you look at the guys on the wing when you want Paul George, he is guarding more smaller players to the jazz, but outside of him, you're looking at Alex Sabrinas, Terrence Ferguson, Corey Brewer. It's just, it's just not great. The loss of Roberson is huge. Too. Yeah, so that that Andre ended up Roberson, being very big. Yeah, he's one of the most unique players in the NBA. Maybe the best perimeter defender in the league. Shoots like 30-some percent from the free throw line, so just totally busted offensive player. He actually injured his knee in Detroit and was lost for the season, but that's a guy you can throw on Donovan Mitchell, and he would make life 
way harder for him than even Paul George. And if he could, you know, stagger those two, I think that would make it harder for Mitchell. But he's been a legitimate star, scored 55 points between the first two games. Clearly Utah's best player has stepped into Gordon Hayward's shoes better, way better than anyone could have expected. And it'll be interesting to see how his career plays out. I'll always have that, you know, oh, we should have drafted him feeling. But yeah, I can't it, I'm not going to get past that anytime soon, even as I attempt to kind of distance myself from the Pistons. He is just such a fun player, Mitchell, and I can't hold that against him for too much of his career and risk not enjoying him because he is so fun. No, yeah, I mean he's but, he's great to watch. Do not do not get me wrong. I I enjoy watching Donovan Mitchell as long as I'm not thinking about the Pistons. But yeah, uh, and we all predicted that one. We were all like, "Oh man, Mitchell's yeah, still wasn't, wasn't to take him, Stan." And nope. But I promise we're not going to complain about that on every podcast. But that's our <laughs> I don't know if we're going to uphold that promise. We'll see how that goes. Whenever the Jazz get mentioned, Mitchell gets mentioned. Whenever Mitchell gets mentioned, it's always just like, ugh. Well, I, I mean, it's it's weird to say with the Thunder Series, but that's that's one that, depending on how it goes, may have been decided before it started by Robertson's absence. Uh, if Mitchell yeah. keeps playing like this... Uh, We'll see. I mean, they just well. If Mitchell keeps playing like this, and if Melo keeps playing like this, we'll see. It might be tough for OKC to keep uh, garbage offensing their way to victories. Uh, yeah, OKC takes tough shots, but they make tough shots. They do. They I, 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 I think part of it may just be that I hate the way that they get to it, but uh, which makes yeah, me I mean, underestimate their offense. They do have great bad shot makers, especially in Paul George and Russell Westbrook. So uh, that'll give them a chance in any game. But I, I mean, Westbrook, the the absence of Robertson so bad when you when you consider that Utah would really have a tough time generating points outside of Mitchell. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I'm a little more optim- bullish on the Thunder. I think Mitchell he dinged up his toe in Game One. Obviously, didn't hurt him a whole lot in Game Two, but that's something to pay attention to. I don't think he's going to score around 25 points per game for the entire series. I do think Carmelo won't be extremely broke for the rest of the series, and It'll be interesting to see how it plays out going back to uh, Salt Lake. I think the other thing is game two, they kind of had some outlier performances. Ricky Rubio, not historically a great shooter, has gotten way better at it. He knocked in five threes. Favors put up 36 points and rebounds combined. It's like that's probably not going to happen again. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of it plays out. I could see the series going uh, to seven. The Jazz have already stolen home floor, but I don't. I think Oklahoma City could get a win in Salt Lake, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the series go to seven. Wouldn't be surprised to see either team win. And yeah, downgrading from Roberson to Brewer is is tough, but I think you know with Westbrook, he did win the MVP last year. He is a really good player. Um, the one thing that does make me skeptical about the Thunder is Adams injury because he's so underrated, so active on the glass, gives Gobert problems, and if he's limited or ineffective like he appeared to be in game game two, it might be tough for them to cobble together a good enough front court if Jeremy Grant has to play next to Carmelo Anthony a lot. But it'll be interesting. We'll see. I think this probably is the best series overall of the first round. Yeah, it's the only one where I can't uh... – don't have an immediate winner come to mind. Yeah, Cavs Pacers also fantastic. So the four or five uh, matchups have kind of lived up to stereotype. Um, not much to to divide the two teams, but 
it'll be interesting. I think both of these teams could give uh, the Rockets some headaches in the next round, but I feel like the Rockets would win pretty comfortably against either of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't see either of those potential matchups going beyond six against Houston. Um, moving on to the 3-6 series, uh, New Orleans tonight opened up a 3-0 lead over the Trailblazers. Um, I th- the story of this series is that Anthony Davis and Nikola Mirotic uh, have completely outplayed Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And uh, in in the end, uh, and also Drew Holiday has, has come up absolutely huge for the yeah. Pelicans as well. Um, so when you when you get that, all going. I mean, you know, Portland is not a team that has a lot beyond their two stars. Their two stars haven't been very consistent so far, haven't really shown up, in, especially in the way that the Pelican stars have. Anthony Davis has been pretty darn dominant. Uh, Nikola Mirotic has been uh, somewhat shockingly good at times. And uh, we're looking at a sweep here. So, yeah, I would say that one of the defining stories of the of the series is the New Orleans front court being better than the Portland uh, backcourt. I don't think a ton of people would have expected that, even though everybody has a ton of respect for Anthony Davis. I do think Drew Holiday has been the biggest story of the series. That's fair. He was great offensively in game one, made huge defensive play after huge defensive play. So on the, the last two inbounds attempts for the Blazers, he got a deflection to knock it out of bounds and then blocked a shot a couple of possessions earlier. He swallowed up a transition uh, possession from CJ McCollum. Yeah. His, his block game, from behind out of that baseline out of bounds pretty much sealed that game. Yeah. And his game too was even better. He scored 33 points, had nine assists late in the game. The Pelicans are up to, he scraps out an offensive rebound, takes the ball out, launches a, you know, pull up three with a couple seconds left on the shot clock and hits it. He's played great defense on uh, Lillard and McCollum. I think that is a huge reason he, along with uh, Ray John Rondo and Etuan Moore, have been great on Lillard and McCollum. And Holiday, kind of an interesting career. You know, he was traded to New Orleans as part of the process from Philly, kind of the first signal that they would be tearing things down and trying to build it back up. Signed a huge deal in New Orleans. Finally, he's playing off the ball a little bit. Having Rajon Rondo there has allowed him to move to shooting guard full-time, which is maybe a more natural position for him, and he certainly thrived in that role. Rondo, um, to his credit, has turned back the clock a little bit, had Absolutely. great games in Game 2, Game 3, hit a huge 3 in Game 2 <laughs> to pretty much sink the dagger into playoffs or into Portland's entire playoffs, and... Yeah, the Pelicans are looking nasty. Like you said, Miritich has been a pleasant surprise. He had a, a great game three, dropped in 30 very efficient points. Yeah, 12 the Pelicans, 15 from the field. So Holiday, Rondo have had a great series. They've you know stood toe-to-toe with Portland's backcourt and kind of locked them up a little bit. Miritich, like you said, really pleasant surprise. He put in 30 really efficient points in game three, part of that blowout. And Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, dominant two-way player. I think he's better at the five. I think he's better with the stretch four and Miritich by him. It's a rough trade from the Bulls to only get a first-rounder from him that probably won't convey into a great pick. No. See him go wild in the playoffs like this. He's a great fit next to Davis. Hasn't been much of a defensive liability although I don't think Portland's wings can really exploit that a whole lot. It does help to play next to Anthony Davis, too. 
it does help to play next to Anthony Davis. Covers for his weaknesses, complements his strengths, and Pelicans. Pelicans are looking really good. I don't know how much to ascribe to just the Blazers being off or not having a diverse enough offense, but this is probably the most surprising result of any series to me thus far. Yeah, I certainly expected a at least one sort of Dame Lillard just shoots his team to a win type of game so far, and that that is not happening at this point. They're running out of time to make something like that happen, and even if it does, uh, we're pretty sure the Pelicans are going to be going on to the second round unless there is something close to a miracle there. Portland had 24 turnovers in Game 3, and Lillard had 8 of those, so it's just... Really great defense from the Pelicans. They weren't an especially dominant defensive team. They were worse defensively with Cousins on the floor next to Davis compared to now. And, yeah, it's just been really rough for Portland all the way around. So I would not be shocked to see this turn into a sweep. It looked like in Game 3 that Portland had already kind of packed it in a little bit. And the Pelicans... And the Golden State Warriors look to be the next teams to, or the first teams to advance, and they will meet up in the conference semifinals. Warriors have looked great against the Spurs thus far. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they jump out three to nothing. Uh, first game, it start off. They don't even have to play small ball. Uh, they start to fail McGee. Uh, David West is the first center off the bench, um, and. You know, they, they don't need Steph Curry either for this series. Uh, they, there seems to be just a, a massive athleticism gap between these two teams. Um, Golden State wins absolutely running away in, in game one. Game two, uh, it's a pretty, actually, uh, impressive defensive game by both teams through three quarters. And then Clay Thompson goes absolutely nuclear in the fourth. Um, that's pretty much what also happens in game three, except it uh, starts a little bit earlier. Um, Golden State wins 110 to 97. We should also mention uh, that Greg Popovich did not coach in in Game Three because his wife Erin passed away this week, which was uh, big news across the NBA and really really tough to hear for somebody that is uh, maybe the most respected person to come through the NBA in a in a very long time. So uh, thoughts out to the Popovich family, um, and uh, it doesn't look like this series is going to last a whole much whole lot longer. Golden State just has far too much talent for this this iteration of the Spurs team. Yeah, the Spurs it looks like the end of an era, especially with the, you know, questions surrounding Kawhi and his future. But like you said, the athleticism difference has been huge and, you know, if Manu Ginobili, Pau Gasol and um Tony Parker are five years younger than they are right now, this might be a different story. But Spurs have had to rely really heavily on LaMarcus Aldridge playing out of the post. It's not great. Like you said, the Warriors haven't gone small. JaVale McGee played well on LMA in the first game. LMA went wild and had a ton of points in the second game, but ultimately was not enough. Game three, the Spurs, uh, kind of their last stand at home. They kept it close through three quarters, and then the Warriors kind of pulled away again. It's just... It's really hard for them to slow the Warriors down, especially when Klay Thompson is playing as efficiently and scoring as well as he has been. Kevin Durant also been playing fantastic. And, yeah, I think this is probably the most lopsided in terms of, you know, what you would expect to happen out of any series, and it's it's played out to script so far. 
Yeah, I mean, at at its best so far, it's been LaMarcus Aldridge training twos for Clay Thompson threes, which is not a way to really sustain much of anything for the Spurs there. So uh, this one probably will be wrapping up quite soon, and we won't have much more to say about it. Um, but uh, yeah. do you have any change in outlook? I mean, the, the Warriors have been exceptionally impressive in the series at the same time this is this has been a Spurs team that you know obviously they're missing Kawhi they've they've got a lot going on right now in that locker room um have your thoughts changed at all in terms of which team comes out of the west uh I don't think so I don't think I've learned a whole lot from Golden State obviously without Curry it's kind of hard to tell and his health is a huge maybe the biggest storyline in the playoffs if he's not back for Houston, I feel like Houston will probably win that series. But Golden State, been kind of in cruise control, scoring around right, uh, about 1.2 points per possession against the Spurs. Their defense is too good for the Spurs to get close to that number, really, even with Marcus Aldridge scoring well. You know, having him as a distributor and without much shooting around him, it's just not built to succeed. The next best scorer on the team is Rudy Gay. It's just not a great situation for them. And it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors do against the Pelicans. I'm pretty intrigued by that matchup, especially if Curry is still out and you can have, you know, strong defenders on Thompson. Don't really know who will guard Kevin Durant for the Pelicans. It's hard to say. Really, nobody can guard Kevin Durant. So, yeah, I mean, he's a a seven foot small forward. I mean, maybe you could stick Anthony Davis on him. That would be pretty interesting. But, yeah, that'll that'll be a great series. I'm really looking forward to that one. But, you know, I do – the Rockets haven't been especially impressive thus far. So I, I'm still – But like I'm we said, I mean, like the things haven't quite clicked for them in a way. Like, we know they're going to at some point. At some point, for sure. I do think the Warriors' defense will be pretty fierce in that series. And I do think, you know, with – the guys they have, Thompson, Durant, Green, Iguodala, they can they can make it hard on the on the Rockets, but that has been something it, from the series that we should probably bring up real quick is that Andre Iguodala every year it seems like he is washed <laughs> and the playoffs come around and his legs are back under him again. And I thought he was finally washed this year. Nope. And, yeah, and then he, he looks pretty darn good. <laughs> especially compared to the Spurs guys who are kind of in that same cohort age-wise. You know, they've been in the league for a really long time. Carmelo Anthony, pretty washed. He's actually younger than Iguodala. And, yeah, I mean, keep on turning the clock back. Livingston's pretty old. David West is pretty old. Kevon Looney's given them some good minutes as a backup center. He, he certainly know, has. He, he's one of those guys who makes the athleticism gap the most stark. And I'm a little surprised that he's playing over Jordan Bell, but it seems like Steve Kerr has always been kind of random with his rotations. You know, who plays, who doesn't play, what groups of guys he trots out there. Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they played a really rarely used starting lineup for game one, which was off the top of my head Thompson, Iguodala, Green, McGee, and Durant. And it worked. It worked. No matter what combination you throw out there, it's going to yeah, be Yeah, I believe, I believe their starting lineup in game one was the first time they'd used that combination all year. 
and it worked out great. Which is a very Golden State thing to do. <laughs> and it worked out great. And you, JaVale plays well against LaMarcus Aldridge. He's a guy that you will probably need against Houston to go toe-to-toe with Clint Capella a little bit. I think Capella has the advantage in that matchup pretty clearly. But a nice a nice uh, club in the bag, so to speak, for Golden State and their rotating cast of big men. Um, and they have Durant. They have Draymond. They have Clay Thompson. They have Steph Curry, assuming he comes back healthy and plays the form. So them against the Rockets – great matchup will be the best playoff series on paper that we've seen in a couple of years. Yeah, unfortunately, we're going to be uh, unless the Pelicans make some noise, which is possible, we're probably going to be spending a lot of time looking ahead to that matchup. Um, the West is pretty much holding to form. Uh, the East is a little bit more interesting, um, but still very much intriguing. The East. I would say. <laughs> yeah. I would say the East is more intriguing in terms of what the potential outcomes are. Unpredictable. Think, <laughs> yeah. The West, the West is just better. And there are things that you can learn from each of these teams as they progress. I think you'll learn more from the Rockets against the Thunder or Jazz, kind of how they deal with tough defense and size. The East may and, have the two most fun series, though, because Cleveland, Indiana, and Philly, Miami. Philly, Miami's been the most fun series so far, I think, hands down. Yeah. And, I, and Cleveland, no, Indiana's I, been interesting as well. I would go with Cleveland, Indiana there. I think with LeBron and with the Pacers, who nobody expected to be good, um, super compelling. I think the games were closer. Uh, anytime you get LeBron and Lance Stevenson on the court at the same time, tend to... Tend to get some drama there. Uh, I, 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 I can give you Cleveland, subplot. Indiana. Yeah. And, I mean, I really I have an interest in this series, but OKC versus the Jazz, two teams that can kind of beat the crap out of each other, grind it out. Yeah, um, I, I just find those series, that series less uh, less fun aesthetically. Uh, oh, I would. Outside of, outside of Spider. Yes. And, and, of course, Russell. I think explosive guard play in that, in that series – um, but yeah, Philly plays a beautiful brand of offense. They're kind of new on the scene. They got great shooting. Um, heat, the heat are kind of, I mean, I they're guess, not as fun, but there's just, there's a lot of bad blood in that series that you don't normally get in a first round. Um, yeah. When, uh, when J- Dwayne Wade's getting chippy with third stringer, Justin Anderson and, you know, double text, throwing people to the floor, uh, there's there's definitely some bad blood there. I wonder how much of it traces back to Joel Embiid and Hassan Whiteside kind of chirping at each other on Twitter. There's a you know a lot of mutual disrespect there. It does but, seem like it's kind of stemmed from that, but uh, it it really has spread to both teams or both everybody else on both teams quite quickly. Yeah, and it is funny too because Whiteside has been like a total non-entity in this series, even with Embiid hurt, and they've been playing Kelly Olynyk probably at least double the minutes of Whiteside, which for a guy that's kind of known as a surly malcontent, probably not great. I do think Philly. I mean, it's giving the heat their best chance right now. Yeah. That and Dwayne Wade playing like Dwayne Wade from 10 years ago, but that was, that was nice for a game. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't think we're going to see that again, but uh, yeah, we're, we're also getting some, uh, some like, bad blood that goes back to Euroball between like Bellinelli and Dragic, which is uh, some fun stuff in that series. So Sixers heat definitely has my attention. Um, I I think that's still probably 
the series I'd go with is the one that I'm I'm most looking forward to seeing seeing how it finishes up. And uh, yes, I think it on, finishes up with uh, Philly winning four to one, and it, then you'll it be may watching very well. some other series potentially go six or seven. I think the four or five matchups in each conference could go in that direction. I think both one seeds will advance fairly easily, and then yeah, the Warriors and the Pelicans are pretty much through already. I don't think the Bucks can give the Celtics much of a challenge. And on that note, I think we're about uh, wrapped up. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I was about to say, I, I, I think I'm going to be hate-watching Oklahoma City, Utah by the end of this uh, <laughs> this first round. See, you just got to love the Thunder for what they are. And I know that watching a guy come off a screen and chuck up a contested long two a bunch of times a game or Russell Westbrook drive into a ton of guys or take a ridiculous pull-up three. It's not the most aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball, especially when you have teams like the Warriors and the Sixers. But, man, some visual brilliance on that team. And Russell Westbrook could carry them by himself in one of these upcoming games. Paul George already had an awesome performance. And then, yeah, Spider Mitchell – fantastic player yeah I, I will certainly grant you the the individual brilliance in that series those 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 guys are fun to watch at the very least um it is now after 1 15 in the morning eastern time so it is about time for us to log off but we will be back uh to wrap up the first round on episode 1.2 uh thanks again to gordon fall for sponsoring this episode and the episodes to come uh, and we're uh, we're very excited to be bringing you a lot more of uh, the NBA playoffs and then the NBA draft uh, for the rest of this podcast. So uh, thanks for listening along. Thanks for your feedback from the uh, the first episode, and uh, we'll be back for eight more of these. Thank you for listening to Not Just a Shooter 1.1. I am Ace Ambender, along with Alex Cook. Ben, what did we say about messing with people named Bloodsport?